At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gonna break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause this ain't a second, I can waste something food on place. Fumbled the bag, I still ain't got that disappointment to shake. So now I'm trying to double up on every dollar I make. Money don't buy you happiness, it sure don't take it away. I'm smiling hard as hell, every time I step in the bank. We can't be making reckless moves, cause there's so much at stake. When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change. Cause every action got a consequence, consider your ways. Hardest thing to do in life is elevate to your pain. I can relate to feeling like your life is stuck in the face. Give an effort, but results just keep remaining the same. Have some patience with yourself, shit ain't as bad as you claim. I seen the homeless nigga smile while he was standing in rain. It's all about perspective. Chillin', catching blessings, and cryptocurrency been busting, and I'm well invested. She know that if she rock with me, then she gon' stay protected. Cause even when this shit get hectic, I ain't never stressing. I'm legend. I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gonna break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause this ain't a second, I can waste, I'm putting food on place. Mill. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy David Bellar, one fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Feeling good is early, but we still moving and grooving, hey. so I, I can't complain. What's good, everybody? It's your boy Kelly here, checking in, checking in. Feeling good, feeling great on this lovely Saturday. Recording a little bit earlier, but it's cool. What's going on, Jared? Hey, man, I'm living, man. I'm feeling good over here, brother. I'm happy. I'm ready to get on the pie, man. I'm off today. It's time to get going, brother. Hell yeah. I feel you, man. I feel you, definitely. I'm trying to get this thing rolling as well, bro. Like I said, it's a beautiful Saturday. We are recording a little early. We're trying to make it to some celebration. Shout out to one of our good friends, man, Anthony Hartzog, brother, celebrating his birthday recently. Uh, Trying to go yeah, celebrate go him, Lincoln, man. Lincoln, but, um, brother. Shouts to Anthony, man. Yeah, shouts to Anthony. Y'all check out our episode with them. But as always, y'all, we back and we better. We coming with another great episode for y'all. Yeah. Um, this week, y'all, man, this is one that's way Straight pressure. overdue. Long overdue. This is something we should have did years ago. You may have seen this lady on our list. She is out here killing it. She is the author of the Financial Starter Kit. One of the best-selling financial literacy books for millennials, Gen Z, all that good stuff. She's the creator of the Gifted Times app and a government contract serial entrepreneur, she getting into the bag and helping a lot of people. Hell get yeah. Miss B Simone, capital S B on Twitter. B's, how you living? 
Thank you for the intro. I appreciate y'all for inviting me on. Hey, no problem. Yeah, we, we appreciate you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to do this a while ago, but look, time is always perfect. Hey. Perfect timing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes right. perfect timing means that I'm too late. Shout out to Nip. I had to put that in there. For sure. Well, bees, we appreciate you coming on. We're going to get this thing started like we always get them started. We just want to get everybody familiar with you that is unfamiliar. So they under a rock. They not tapped in. Can you let them know who you are and how you got your start? All right. So, yeah, I got a lot going on. So for a lot of people who don't know, I still work a nine to five. So I've been working in the defense industry since I was 16. Started out doing just like IT stuff, doing material handle stuff, which was basically just putting stickers on the cables. Then I got into like IT help desk. And after that, went to college for computer science. So I went to computer science school. I went to Christopher Newport for a couple of years. Actually, only one year I went to Christopher Newport. Then I went to VCU for four years. So I graduated from VCU, started working full time as a software engineer. After a while, when I was there, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I made my first app, like first really real shot at entrepreneurship, which was making Giftize, like you all talked about. Giftize is an app that downloads GIFs and videos from Twitter. So I did that back in 2016. And then after that, I decided I want to go overseas as an overseas contractor. I'm from the D.C. area, from Virginia. So back in, I think it was like maybe 2004, 2005, you would see people go overseas, come back home. They buy like a big house cash. Then they buy BMW cash. And these are black people, young black people buying houses and luxury cars cash. So I'm like, yo, what are y'all doing? So my parents was telling me, you know, they're doing overseas contracting. Back then, a lot of people were going to Afghanistan and Iraq. Like the money was crazy. They were making like 400000 a year going to Iraq and Afghanistan, mostly tax-free. So, you know, I have to do this. So after being a software engineer for two years, I got my first overseas contract and I went overseas in Japan at the age of 24. So I went overseas, immediately doubled my salary. And then from there, that's when I first got into crypto. I ended up discovering Bitcoin. And back in 2017, like if people followed me back then, my B symbol used to be like the Bitcoin B. But people had a too hard of a time trying to find me. So like, you know, on Twitter, if you can't find somebody at, you can just search them by like their actual name. So you can't really type in a Bitcoin symbol for a B. So people couldn't find me on Twitter. So that's why I just changed it to the regular Bs. But yeah, so after that, you know, I decided to write the financial starter kit. I was overseas for a couple of years. I went to Taiwan, came back home 2019, decided to write financial starter kit. The Financial Starter Kit is a book to help millennials learn everything they need to know about financial literacy. It literally is just an all-in-one book, no fluff, like just straight information that you need to be successful with financial literacy and just start your financial foundation. So I think that a lot of people nowadays, you know, we just were never taught certain things about financial literacy. You'll always hear somebody say like, yeah, you know, growing up, I was never taught this. I didn't know this. So I was the same way. You know, when you first get out, you start paying your own bills. You, there's a lot of stuff you don't know about. So on Twitter, a lot of people would ask me like, hey, you know, can you write like a financial literacy guide? So I started writing an outline for this guide and I started writing it. And next thing you knew, I had like 80 pages. So I was like, you know, this is way more than a guide. Mm-hmm. So I hit up my friend who's a publisher. His name is Adrian. I hit up Adrian and he's a publisher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hit up Adrian, A over K. He's my publisher and I hit him up and I was like, yo, I'm gonna come out with it as an ebook. But the whole time it was always gonna be a book. It's just that people were asking for it and it was done. So I figured I might as well just put it out. 
And then I also have a defense industry guide as well. If people are interested in getting into the industry. Hey, that's some major shit. And I love the progression and I really want to like peel back some of the stuff. And I even want to just go like really to the beginning, low key, like the origin on this. What got you in the tech? Because I noticed you said, you know, you was working at the help desk and you was doing the stickers. You said that was before you even got into college. So like, it sounds like you was in this area, like way before that. What got you started in this? Yeah. So my dad, he's been in tech. So he was in the Air Force for 20 years. So he did tech in the Air Force. And he always told me, like, you need to figure out what you're going to do career wise. I used to play ball. That's why I ended up going to Christopher Newport. I went there for a basketball scholarship, but I actually ended up quitting. Before we even had a game, I ended up quitting because like it was just too much. So I don't know how many people are familiar with Christopher Newport, but they're the best D3 school out there and they run it like a D1 program. So it's like you. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Your whole day is just completely jam packed with you got one on one practice. You have study hall. You have all your classes. You got like practice in the morning, practice at night. It's just all day. Every day is just like straight up basketball all day, every day. That's what they do. They're the best D3 school out there. So I wasn't able to keep up. Like, I can't do both. I'm not the type of person that can go all in on school and try and go all in with basketball. So I looked up what the average salary was of a software engineer compared to the average salary of a WNBA player. Like, literally, it was in my dorm. I Googled it. I was like, what's the average salary of a WNBA player? I already figured, like, you know, I don't think I'll make it to the WNBA at this point. But if I did, like, what's my earning potential? So I looked it up and I think it said the average salary is about 45,000. I saw the software engineer salary was about 90 something or 100,000. So I quit the team the next day. <laughs> like it was done. It was over with because my grades, they were bad. They were real bad. So my grades were so bad to the point that I had to transfer into VCU undeclared because to get into the engineering program with VCU, their computer science was under the school of engineering. So you couldn't go in there with like a low GPA for school of engineering. You had to go in with at least a 3.0. I left Christopher Newport with a 2.6. So I couldn't even get straight into computer science. So I had to come in undeclared, do like a semester, get my grades up. I got like a 3.5 my first semester. Then they let me into computer science. That's shit. That's hard. I like that. And even whenever you were met with a challenge in it, that you found a solution around it. Like a lot of people would even say, oh man, you know, School got hard on me, ah, da, 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 da. Ah, I'm just gonna let it both go and not try to find that solution in that situation. So your interest was speaking in tech, mostly because like you were exposed to it kind of whenever you were younger. Yeah, so like yeah. into your your first experience, like after, like, I guess uh, that job, that first job? My internship when I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, so like for that first job, basically how I got it was in the school system that I'm from, that I went to school at for high school, they had like a technical school that you can go to. It was a vocational school. So they had like people were welders, mechanics, hairdressers. They had cooking, like culinary, and they had two IT programs and they had some other stuff too, right? So it was literally like a vocational school, like a trade school, but you could go to it every other day when you were, I think I did it my junior year. So every other day you go to this vocational school. Honestly, I only went because I didn't have to go to class, like regular class. <laughs> so that's the only reason why I went. So I didn't have to go to regular real class. Yeah, I didn't have to go to regular class. So I was like, okay, this is going to be easy. So they had two options for the tech classes. They had one class, you're going to get your CompTIA A plus certification. And then another class that was focused on networking, and you would have got your CCNA. 
So my dad wanted me to do the CCNA class. Like, I mean, imagine being 16, 17 with a CCNA certification. Like, you literally can get that cert. Real quick, what what is a CCNA certification, B? So CCNA certification is the Certified Cisco Network Administration Cert. So basically what that means is like you're a professional at knowing how to network Cisco routers and stuff like that. So Cisco systems. So almost every router system in like a corporate space is pretty much Cisco. So if you have a CCNA cert, you're pretty much like set. You're going to be able to get a networking job. You might be able to get like a networking engineer job. You'll be able to get in with any of like the cable companies, whether it's Verizon, AT&T, whatever. You'll be able to get one of those jobs and you can start doing networking. You can start running network cables, stuff like that. So that was the better route, right? I could have got that and really started making real money when I was in high school. So I had a friend who got that cert and he didn't even go to college. He went straight to working straight out of school. He was working for Verizon as a network engineer right out of high school. So he was 18 as a network engineer, didn't even go to college. Yeah. So I went the easy route. I was like, you know, let me get the CompTIA A plus. It's going to be easy. The CompTIA A plus is nothing but like a basic, it's really like a help desk type cert. It teaches you all the basics about computers, all the computer hardwares, printers, the components in and out, how they work. So I already knew how everything worked. I built my first computer when I was 16. So I had already knew how computers worked and everything. So it was really just a cakewalk. So like I said, I just went because I didn't have to go to class every day. So I got the A plus cert and they ended up getting us an internship too. So at that point, I wasn't even going to class. I was only going to my internship every other day. And then also they were paying me $10 an hour. So I was 16 getting paid $10 an hour. And then from there, it was like, you know, it was hard to really do anything else. But like I was on my grind back then. So when I was in college, I got another internship and I was working like a IT help desk internship. And I was working two part-time jobs. I was working at Polo Ralph Lauren and I was working at Kids Foot Locker. So I was like, give my discounts on everything I needed. <laughs> so it was like, it was lit for real, for real. But it burnt me out because I was working like almost seven days a week, every week. So at one point I had to let go of the Kids Foot Locker job. I kept the Polo job. So it was just easier. But that's really how I got into tech. And that's how I did everything. You know, I had that interest from a young age and I was able to just keep going with tech from there. So really it was either like play ball or do some tech related because that was all I knew. I was just really big at playing video games. That's all I did. If I wasn't playing basketball, I was playing video games. So it was just kind of like natural for me. I didn't really have any other choice. It was like, I'm going to do this or I don't know what I'm going to do. Because back then, there was no Twitch. There was no YouTube streamers. Like, because if that was an option, I would have just still be gaming. <laughs> I'd still be gaming. Yeah, I would still be playing video games. But that wasn't an option back then. So I had to go into tech. I had to keep it moving forward. So, yeah, that's really how I What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm got into tech and everything real quick segue what games was you giving niggas else the business in 
Honestly, I was playing the shooters a lot. So, you know, Call of Duty, Rainbow Six. I played Rainbow Six the most out of like everything. Like I was on Rainbow Six like all day, every day, staying up till 3, 4 a.m. every day, just playing video games. It was crazy. Damn. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I'm a Call of Duty head myself, but I ain't been playing it as much lately. But that's cool. Like your journey, how you got into it, even just like starting off with a high school segue. Well, really, you just didn't want to go to class, but it really just ended up turning out like the best for you. I like that gym that you dropped with that certificate. I think somebody can really benefit from that because you said your homeboy at 18, he got a network engineering job with Verizon. That don't sound like he getting paid no less than 70K a year. Mm -mm. He was doing really good. Yeah, yeah. He was doing really good. He didn't go to college or anything like that. I think he ended up going to college like a couple years later, but he went to community college. Like he didn't go away or nothing like that. He was working for Verizon for some time. And I think he got a Verizon internship when he was still working. I mean, when we were still in high school, too. So we were in high school. He was already working for Verizon as an intern. Damn. How does somebody from a basic standpoint get into those certifications? I would say it really depends on what your basic knowledge is of computers, right? Like if you don't know anything about computers, I really think it's best to at least learn the basics. You don't have to start with the A-plus certification because like I said, it's really just like basic computer stuff, like the components. So you really could end up going onto YouTube, looking through an A-plus tutorial or A-plus course learn all those basics about the computer, and then you could decide where you want to go from there. So if you did want to get the CCNA, you would want to learn the basics about networking, purchase like a CCNA study guide, or really you want the official book. You get the official CCNA book, start studying that, and maybe even sign up for somebody who's proven. I'm not sure who it is, but somebody who's proven, who has a proven CCNA like program that can help you get your CCNA cert. And the same applies for like, if you wanted to get the A plus, you could do that. But I really think that a lot of people can skip the A plus cert because they went up on the cost. The cost used to be cheaper. They used to last forever. It used to be lifetime certification. So my A plus certification is good for my entire life. But now if you get a certification, you got to renew it every three years. So it costs money to renew it. And you either have to retake the entire test or they have some ways where you can like just do the proprietary refresher and then you go through like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get the CEUs. So you can either like do their proprietary thing where you're basically just giving the company more money, but it's easier. Like you could pay them, go through their like proprietary refresher and then you're good to go. But yeah, like mine is lifetime. It then used to be like this where you had to refresh all the time, but you know, they just want to get more money. So yeah, if you want to get into these things, I think like the best ways to get in, look at the CompTIA A plus certification, the CompTIA Network Plus certification, CompTIA Security Plus, and then like the CCNA. So you don't have to get the A plus, but I would say like, if you don't know anything about it, you just want to get that foundational information. Cause it's like, if you get into an interview and somebody asks you what a hard drive is and you can't explain it, or what's the difference between a regular hard drive and an SSD? Like if you don't know the difference of that, it's basic computer stuff. So you want to know the basics. You don't want anybody to expose you for just like cramming, trying to get these certs. Mm. Okay, so I get what you're saying, like whenever you say it's basic, because like I understand the difference between those two. So yeah, that doesn't sound like that would be too difficult to get that cert. But how long does that one take to get? I'm not sure how long it takes now, right? Because I took mine so long ago, over 10 years ago, but I have heard that it is harder. So I don't know how long it takes. But if you push it, you have a good study schedule. I think you could probably finish those certs within four months. 
CCNA, if you're brand new, that's going to take you longer because it's really in depth. So I would say if you're trying to get the CCNA, you need at least probably six to eight months to really get it. And you have to really be studying. This is not some stuff where you can just like, I'm going to open a book once a week. Like it's not going to work. You have to really come up with a study schedule and a study plan and stick to it. Mm. That discipline. And that's why a lot of people kind of, you know, get messed up, especially even just like going to college. Once you're away from home, you know, you really got to test that self-discipline and figure out, you know, right. I'm going to stay on top of myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing this. I was going to go into a segment on entrepreneurship, but I kind of want to stick where we at right now in your story and in your journey. I did want to ask, just kind of related to, I know you had the internships and everything. I kind of want to see like what made you turn toward the defense industry mm. with IT because yeah. you got these certifications and whatnot. And like you were mentioning working for corporations. So like what kind of opened you toward that? Well, like I said, I'm from the D.C. area. So if you don't do government contracting or just government work, so work for the federal government, intel community, so like CIA, FBI, stuff like that. Like I know people who work in all of these different agencies, right? So if you're not doing government work in the D.C. area, most likely you aren't making money you should be making. Like the D.C. area is ran by the government. Mm -hmm. So that's where you want to be at. Like literally almost everybody in the D.C. area works for the government in some type of form or capacity. Like they work for the government or they work with the government. It's just how it is. Like all of the agencies headquarters are all in the DC area. So everything you see for any government agency, it's in the DC area. So it makes up so many jobs. I think the federal government is the number one employer in the US. So those jobs are highly concentrated in the DC area. And then I also wanted to say one thing too about like how you're saying you have to be self-motivated, right? When I went overseas, for me to even get overseas, I had to get another certification. So I had to get the CompTIA Security Plus certification just to go overseas. So I ended up calling up this hiring manager and he told me, hey, I like your resume, but you need this certification to go. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts, you have to get it. So he was like, whenever I have another position available, I'll call you. So I was kind of like BSing on my studying. I ended up taking a boot camp that really wasn't that good. So you have to watch out for the boot camps because there's some that are complete garbage. They're nothing but something to take your money. So there'll be like a week boot camp, which is garbage. Personally, I don't recommend anybody take a week boot camp. I think you should really like take one that's going to be at least, especially if you're brand new, I would take one that's at least three weeks or a month or longer. So the longer, the better, in my opinion, because it's going to be like a regular class versus they trying to hit you with a whole new subject that you've never seen before every single day. So I had to study for the security plus he hit me up the first time and I still hadn't got it yet. So he was like, you know, I was ready for you to come, but you still don't have the cert. So that's when I really had to buckle down because, you know, I was in the DC area, you know, just out doing whatever I wanted. So I wasn't studying like that. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to study for a four weeks, get this cert, you know, knock it out. So I studied for four weeks. I knocked it out. I called him back and he was like, oh, we already filled the position because those kind of positions, they go pretty fast with that company. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll just wait until the next one comes. And then a few months later, that's when he hit me up and told me that he had another position opening up in Japan. So that's how I got the first overseas contract. Damn. So your first one was in Japan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I lived in Japan for 18 months. Damn, that's hard. Damn. So I do have a quick, quick question just for anybody listening out there. Are these jobs and is, it, is that certification or these roles requiring you to know how to code? Like, are you know how to code and all of this too? Or is this 
No, you don't need to know how to code. So for overseas contracting, there are no software engineering jobs overseas, but you do need to have a government clearance. There are some companies who will sponsor your government clearance. So like, let's say you get the security plus cert. There are companies out there that'll say, hey, you got the security plus cert. Maybe they like your background. You have a little bit of experience. They might sponsor you to get your secret clearance to go overseas. So you need bare minimum a secret clearance. And the clearances is really what holds a lot of people back because you can't be a felon and get government clearances. You know, you can't have anything crazy on your record. You can't have uh, too much debt. Like if you had too much personal debt, the government looks at that as a risk for you to be blackmailed. Somebody could hit you up and just be like, hey, we'll pay off all your debt if you give us all the government secrets. So if you have too much personal debt, like let's say somebody had like 75,000 in just personal credit card debt that's not going to fly, right? You most likely, you're a liability, right? So you most likely wouldn't get a clearance if you had too much credit card debt. And then also they don't like seeing a lot of collections either because same thing, it's like, you know, especially if people are making good money, it's like you're making good money, but you got all these collections, you must be having financial issues. Again, another liability. So it's really the clearance that holds a lot of people back, but you can get these clearances. Like, so I got my first government clearance when I was 18. So that was my freshman year in college. How you go about applying for a government clearance? You just go to like the FBI website or FBI? Like no. a government website? <laughs> no, no. So you have to get sponsored by a company. So you have to work a job that requires you to have a clearance. So what you need to do is like look for positions that say must have the ability to obtain government clearance. And you see that, that means that they're going to sponsor your clearance. So you apply for that job, you get it, and then they'll put you through the process to do your government clearance, which is just an in-depth background check. Yeah, so they do a deep background check on you. They're going to go all the way back, I think, till 18. So for me, it was easy because I was 18. So Mm -hmm. we didn't really have to go back that far. So really, the younger that you get these government clearances, the easier you have it. Because the secret clearances, they last for 10 years. So my secret is good from to the age of 28. But I end up getting another clearance of the next level from that. I got the top secret clearance. So once I got that, my stuff got renewed again. So I'm good for a minute. I think I'm good until 2027 on like a secret. But the top secret clearances, they don't last as long. They only last for five years. So that's a totally different game. Yeah, the clearances and stuff, they get crazy. That's why I had a defense industry guide because like, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with this. But I would just say if you're in an area where you have a large government presence or if you're in tech and you wanted to go overseas and make, you know, a lot of money, you can do that. And you don't even have to be in tech, too. So there's like facility jobs overseas. So they don't make as much money, but they're over there. There's facility jobs. So you're taking care of the grounds and stuff like that. There's electrical jobs. There's logistic positions safety, Q&A, site manager, stuff like that. There's also, if anybody's in the military, they, they would know about this, but there's maintainer and operator positions. We get kind of deep. I'm sure y'all like, I don't know what you talk about. Nah, man, but, <laughs> but, hard. Like, it sounds like a lot of opportunity to me. Like, mm-hmm. And it sounds like if you're not afraid to take that risk, you can go over there and like really do a whole 180. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went and so my first contract, I was making 150 mostly tax-free, like right overseas. So I went overseas and making 150 tax-free at 24. And then while you were overseas, since you were working with the government, were you like having to pay for your living expenses and all that stuff as well? No, mm -mm. you live completely for free. So you live completely for free when you're overseas. They pay for your car, they pay for your housing. They even pay for your food. If you're on a good contract, they pay for your food. 
So you coming up off everything. Like my first contract, they paid us so much for our car that we were getting $900 a month for the car, even though I bought a car for $1,800. So I got there, bought a car for $1,800, and I was getting $900 every single month just like to do whatever with. Um, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. The contracts, they can get crazy. Like I know people, they're still making a lot of money, like over 300000 a year overseas. The most I made on one of my contracts was two twenty five. But I was working a lot of hours. And these is like one year contracts. Yeah. Dang, that's damn crazy. So you know, you, you no, got one hundred fifty. Let's say, let's say, I just need everybody to understand this. All this information is available in the defense industry guide, correct? Yeah, it's all there. Yep. Y'all, if y'all hearing this and this sound like something that's like, hey, wait a minute, I can make a hundred thousand plus tax free and get get all my stuff taken care of. This might be something to look into. Like, I just want them to know that that's available, and we go ahead in the show notes for Yeah. So you making one fifty, right? So you over there, you ain't got no expenses. You got to be balling out. Like, you got to just be wardrobe ridiculous, shoes crazy. Like, how you living whenever you making that type of money with no real responsibilities? Yeah, yeah. It can get crazy, man. It can get crazy. Like, so for me, when I first got over there, it was just like, man, this is like a lot of money. It's like this is coming in every two weeks, like just never ending. So it was a lot of money and it was a lot to adjust to. So when I got over there, I had started paying off my debt. So I had a lot of debt from when I was back in the States. So I had started paying off my debt. I paid it all off. And then after that, I think I had about 25000 saved. And then that's when I had discovered like Bitcoin. So I took like 16000 and just dumped it right into like crypto. I was just like, you know what? I like this. I'm going in on it. So that was a crazy year. 2017 to 2018 was really crazy. But yeah, you can get crazy with the spending, man. Like it's a lot of people who've been overseas for like 10 years and they really don't have much to show for it because they just spend all the money. And then it's a lot of people who don't plan on ever coming back to the States. So they just spend all their money. People, they end up getting homes in like Thailand and the Philippines. So if they did ever have to like stop working, they're straight. Like they got a place in Thailand or the Philippines paid off. The cost of living in those countries, dirt cheap. Like you probably can survive in Thailand and the Philippines for like, I would say no more than $6,000 a year if you needed to. Like if you really needed to, you probably could survive over there for like less than 6,000 a year. That's why I told you, that's one of my top vacation spots I got to go to, Trying to go live like a king for $20, man, man. Man, my cousin went over there and he told me, like, it's just ridiculous, bro. And I kind of want to go back to this. And that was the original question I was going to ask. Like, whenever you first got the... Uh, influx the, of money? Not even just the influx money, like the internship. And he was like, you know, I got this position, but you got to go to Japan for it. Like, what was that, like, wrapping your head around it? Like, were you kind of nervous? Did you know, tell your parents, you know, hey, look, I'm about to go to Japan. How did they receive it? Like, did you get some support? Yeah. So honestly, I didn't get any support. My whole family was like, nah, don't go. Because you know, black people, yeah, black people scared. Sure. Like, even my dad, who was in the Air Force, he like, nah, don't do it. Because the contract, it doesn't really show everything you're going to make on the contract. So it's like an estimated amount. And then when you get there, you end up making like way more than what actually is shown on the contract. So, but that's not for every company, but I know for the company that I work for, that's how it was. Like you would get over there and you make in way more than what's actually on the contract, whether it's because of overtime or it's just like, it's just more money. So yeah, that's really how it was when I got over there. You know, you just had that influx of money coming in and it, it was just, it was a lot to handle for sure. Hmm. I was scared at first, but I was just like, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Oh, so my best friend, 
he worked for the government and he had just left for overseas. This was our plan. It's crazy how it worked out. Like when we were in college, you know, we both decided, like I had decided in high school I was going, but he decided in college that he was going to go overseas. And we were at this conference. It's called NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers. So we were at the NSBE conference and we talking to this guy from the State Department and he's telling us all about overseas. He's like, yeah, brought my whole family. I had a three bedroom house with a housekeeper, my kids there, my wife there. His wife was even working for like she was doing overseas contract, too. So they both over there running it up. Mm -hmm. So he telling us, like, yeah, I'm making all this money, doing all this stuff. And that's when we were like, yeah, we were 100 percent going. So my best friend, he had left to go overseas two months before I did. He went to Kuwait and I went to Japan. So he left probably like February. I left in April. So he told me like he was literally the only person who was like, yo, you need to go. He was like, everybody telling you not to go. You're going to look back and be laughing for even thinking about not going overseas. <laughs> like, and literally nowadays we always laugh about it. We always laugh like, yo, you remember when I was like talking about, I don't know if I'm going to go overseas. We always laugh about it. It literally changed my life. Damn, that's precious. Taking that leap. Because I do kind of want to get into the crypto with you as well, but I don't want to breeze over Giffetize. So Giffetize, you said you launched that in 2016? Yeah, yeah, I launched it in 2016. So what inspired you to create an app? Like, and how was that process? I feel like whenever I look for making new things or new opportunities, it's always, you know, what do people want? And really, this was just what I wanted. So if people don't know, I'm big on Twitter. Like, yeah. I'm on Twitter all day, every day. It's a problem. Like, I know it's a problem. I'm on there all day, every day. So you still, to this day, cannot save gifts from Twitter. So back in 2016, I'm like, yo, I'm asking one of my close friends. I'm like, hey, do you know how to save gifts from Twitter? He knows pretty much like everything, like tech and software. He's like, yeah, I don't know how to do it. So I look on the internet. I can't find anything. So I was like, you know what? I think this is a good opportunity. I can come out with an app that allows you to save gifts from Twitter. So I did not know mobile development. I knew software engineering. Really what I was doing was like radar software engineering. So I was coding stuff for radar. So I'm like, I don't know anything about this. So I ended up going on to Fiverr and Upworks, like looking for somebody who could create the app for me. So I ended up doing like the wireframes and stuff like that. Pretty much like drew out everything, figured out everything that I wanted. And then at the time, I actually did this with the person I told you that got the CCNA cert who didn't go to college. So me and him, we did it together, but we're no longer partners on it. So we had got everything together and figured out what we wanted. We found a developer, told him what we wanted. He actually had the app done within three weeks. Like, because the first app was super, super basic. It was literally just, we need to save gifts from Twitter. That's it. Like show it in like a gallery view be able to save gifts from Twitter. He had it done in three weeks. So imagine how long it would have taken me to do it. I would have had to learn how to do mobile development. Mobile development is nothing like regular, like software engineering. It's different. Like if you're doing stuff that's not mobile development, it's completely different. Web development, mobile development. I was doing embedded system engineering. Like it's, it's all different. So basically I had him do it, hired him. I think at the time, I think we paid him about $2,000 and he had it done in three weeks. So we just had to like fix some kinks. And then a few months later, we released it. We released it, I think, first, second week of August in 2016. And it did well, still doing well, has over 600,000 downloads. It's just, I'm trying to find a developer that can really like help me take it to the next level. That's really what I'm trying to do right now. But right now it's kind of like, just like on autopilot. I don't really have to do much with it. People just use it. And it's definitely not my main focus.
Nah, that's hard. still dope though. Like yeah, you that's just, hard. You went to solve a problem initially for yourself, and you turned it into an app that has over half a million downloads. That's no small mm-hmm. feat. Like this, is, how many apps on the app store? We talked about this with Sulu. Like it's hundreds of millions of apps on the app store that don't get downloaded. They don't even get a hundred downloads, mm-hmm. and that's crazy. And I like how you took the approach of like the who not how type of mentality. Mm-hmm. That's something big that I recently learned at the beginning of this year. Is just like yo, I could either be the person to do this. Or I can go find the right who, like the person who already have these skills. They already didn't put the work in to do this. And I just give them my vision. I just got to be able to convey what I really need thoroughly and just let them run with it. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in that cycle of, oh, yo, let me go figure this out. Let me go Mm -hmm. learn how to do this right quick so I can cut some corners, save a few dollars. But you spending one of the most precious resources that you got. That's your time. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people do not understand that. You cannot just be out here trying to learn every single skill, trying to build everything yourself. Like, you know, even when you're first starting out, you can find probably somebody cheaper to do the work. Now, you got to know it's not going to be the best quality because you're not paying top quality prices, but you could probably get it done. And that's really what you want to do. Like in mobile development and in just software in general, it's called the minimum viable product, the MVP. You want the minimal product that you can get to where it actually shows functionality. It works like you know that your idea actually works and you really can apply that to anything. That's hard. That's pressure. Mm. I need a damn bot to block these Instagram bots. Hey, yeah. That's what we need to talk about. (laughs) 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 Them motherfuckers are ridiculous. Speaking of bots, don't you rent those two Bs? Yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) But I sold a lot of my bots. I only have two left. I only have two bots left right now. But yeah, I was renting out bots really heavy for probably about eight months, maybe. What's that, renting out bots? (laughs) So basically, you know how people buy sneakers and stuff like that online. So you can use a bot to end up making that purchase. It'll automatically buy for you. So I had, I think I had at the time, I had five bots so I would rent them out. So the thing is, these bots, they're super expensive. They're not cheap, right? Yeah. So you know, sneakers flip. So these bots that allow you to buy the shoes automatically, they're not cheap. Like one of the bots that I had, when I sold it, I sold it for $7,000. If you're trying to get into reselling, you're not about to just drop 7000 on a bot. And then after you get the bot, you still need the proxies, which is basically something to make it seem like your IP address is something else. Cause like, if you run a bot at your own, like with no proxy, you're going to get banned. So, cause you're like consistently hitting that site over and over and over again, they have bot protection. So it's going to ban your IP address. And like you personally, you would never be able to go onto that site again. So you have to buy proxies. You got to like practice your setup and stuff. It's very involved. And my initial idea was like, you know what, I'm gonna buy these bots and run them myself. But once I realized that there was a whole business in renting out bots, I was like, oh, this is way easier. This is like digital real estate. I have to buy this, rent it out. I was renting out my bots for like one bot. I was renting out for $5.50 a month, like doing nothing. Literally like, okay, you give me the $5.50. I'm going to give you the key you need for the bot. It's yours for the month. Like here's my Discord. I had like a bot Discord. I still have it. I have a bot Discord where I have a VA. She updates like everything that's going on with the bot. So any new releases, they come out with like a little release guys. So she puts those into the discord. And yeah, I mean, I still got it right now. The two bots I have, I'm renting out one. The other bot is kind of like broken. So I'm hoping they fix it so I can sell it. Hey, that's, that's dope that's, as that's fuck. Harder, yeah, that's hard as shit. Yeah. 
That's a very passive investment that nobody would have thought of that you could do. Nah. Yeah, yeah. But that's what you always talk about, though. Like, I see you tweet something along the lines of that, where it's like everybody's so obsessed with, like, making the money through entrepreneurship whenever yeah, you yeah. can just use your nine to five and invest passively like that. I'm trying to tell people it's the way, but, you know, people don't make it seem cool. So I'm like, I'm trying to tell people, like, if you get a nine to five, you get your career, you increase your income because you can make six figures with a nine to five and you can invest the money and you can make passive income. Like, I know you can do it because I did it. I have a group coaching program. They're doing it like I've helped people get overseas. I've helped at least six people get overseas within the past, I think, year, year and a half. So it works like it's real stuff. You know, it's really life changing stuff. It's just that a lot of people do not promote like, oh, keep a career and invest like this is a career, not like just a retail job any type of like food job, nothing is wrong with that. It's just that if you want to make six figures, you need a career. So get a career, invest the money and you can make passive income and you'll be fine. Like, and eventually if you want to quit, you can quit. Message. That's some fucking bars. Get a career and start working at these motherfucking fast food spots. Start working at these motherfucking gas stations and thinking about your life is going to be changed and all of this shit. I'm sorry. You just hit a nerve. Cause we put this shit up earlier, like this week about like, you know, you're seeing a lot of jobs, like they're looking, Everybody hiring uh, they're looking for a lot of hiring. And it's like a lot of fast food places, like places they pay like minimum wage, like you live all right off of it. And like a lot of people are like, oh, the employers, they're wrong for this. They're wrong for that. But at the same time, you're not even working to like level up your situation. You getting a job like this is some shit where really and truly once automation hit, once all this other tech shit hit. A lot of these jobs are going to be gone. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them are going to be gone. I think that really right now, the best thing for people to do, if they're looking for a job, I would look for something where they have an educational assistance program where they're going to pay for your college. They'll pay for your certification. So like Amazon, I know the working conditions are tough, but Amazon pays for degrees. They pay for certifications. Walmart, they pay for degrees. I don't know if they pay for certs, but they definitely pay for degrees. Somebody told me Target does. Somebody told me that Starbucks does. So find jobs that will pay for your education. So whether it's a cert or a degree, you know, you can find a job that'll pay for it and you get that and then you can move on to something else. Or you can like if you wanted to get into tech, you know, you can go the certification route. You can get into a boot camp if you want to do like software development, stuff like that. But like I said, you got to watch out for the scam. But yeah, there's definitely ways to do it. It's more to just like nine to fives, like you can have an actual career, make six figures, like. I told you I made $225,000 a year at my nine to five before any other money came in. Like, I mean, that's why I say it all the time. Like people talk about entrepreneurship and I'm like, you know, not to be cocky or anything like that. It's just like, I know with my nine to five, I'm making more than a lot of entrepreneurs. The average dollars <laughs> like, a year. Yeah. Like you don't have to be an entrepreneur. Like what you don't realize is when you look at the richest people in the world, and when you even look at the people who are getting a lot of money, how are they doing it? They're doing it through investing. How did Jay-Z go from where he was to where he is right now, a billionaire, through investments? Yeah. I remember like when he had sold off his equity and stuff like that. The what he, he made a yeah. And then another uh, Ace of Space too, right? At the bottom. Yeah. He made what five hundred million in a yeah, week? Of, I forgot how much the investment was, but his investment was small to what it grew to grew to yep and same with nas and coinbase mm -hmm. nas put in like again these are large numbers at the top like starting out but still you can work your way into doing these type of things 
So like Nas, he put in, I think, 100,000 into Coinbase and it grew to, I forgot how much it grew to. So I think it was like over 100 mil. Coinbase is now like the number one app in the United States, by the way. Right. Yeah. So he took 100K and it grew to $100 million. Like there's another agent guy, he had got into Coinbase too. And his numbers were like ridiculous. Like it's crazy how much money, what their money grew to. I think it was like a 1600X, (laughs) which is insane. Like not 1600%. 1600 times every dollar you put in so every dollar turned into 1600 dollars. that's through investing that is not entrepreneurship it's investing <laughs> Jesus yeah. said every dollar turns Damn. into 1600 dollars. like that's this man put in a hundred like come on man yeah. and all they did was invest and wait they didn't run coinbase they weren't at the meetings with brian running all the meetings all they did was put their money in and sit back and wait that's it. They didn't do anything. They didn't lift a finger. Like, that's what people don't get. I'm telling you, like, people have it all twisted. It's investing that you want to get into. It's passive income that you want to get into to really live a life of freedom and not have to worry about anything. Like, entrepreneurship, like I said, is cool, but you got to- stressful. Let's it, keep it funky. It's stressful. It stressful. Right, exactly. It's extremely stressful. You lose money. You might not make any money. And you're going to be, like, if you're trying to really get up and running, you might not be able to pay yourself for years. So that's the real part that people don't ever talk about when it comes to entrepreneurship is like, it's not just some cakewalk versus you can come out here, get a career, be chilling. Like this stuff that I do overseas, in my opinion, to me, it's not that hard. Like to me, it's not that hard. And then there's other people who I know is really not that hard. Like they're not doing nothing but like sleeping all day, but they're still making six figures, chilling. They're still making six figures, chilling, living for free overseas. So the overseas work typically is much easier than the work in the States because just the nature of what it is. But you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can have a career. You can invest your money, get passive income. And if you want to retire, you can retire, do whatever you want to do. But investing is how you win. Mm. And speaking (laughs) of the investing part, I kind of want to go into the, you said you threw in 16,000 into Bitcoin. That was back in 2017. Yeah, back in 2017, let's kind of get into the crypto bag and how you got started in Bitcoin and I guess the future of Bitcoin. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin. I don't remember how, I don't know what it was. I think I probably saw something on Twitter, saw some people talking about the price. It had like jumped from $900 to I think maybe $1,200, $1,300. I started looking at it, trying to see, all right, what's really going on with Bitcoin? Because I remember specifically being in college in my apartment And I remember they were saying like, it was like CNBC or something like that. They were saying that Bitcoin was dead. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I think Bitcoin is probably $200 a coin or $400 a coin. So I'm like, okay, so it went from 200 to like $1,300 and it had been only a couple of years, right? So I'm like, okay, something's clearly going on here. How did this go from 200 to like $1,300 over the past few years? So I like looked into it, went really deep on YouTube, like just went down the crypto rabbit hole. And I was convinced. I was convinced like Bitcoin is going to work. Like this would be the future store of value, all that good stuff. And that really, that's how I got in. Now I'll make a full disclaimer. I did not hold on to all my Bitcoin and crypto throughout that entire time because it was a three-year bear market. That's what a lot of people, they don't get. So bear market means that the price just kept going down. So I got my first Bitcoin and stuff at 1600, rolled it all the way up to 20K. Obviously, a lot of people did not sell last time, right? So that's why this cycle, I'm selling. You know, I'm not going to be waiting around trying to like see how high it goes. Once it hits a certain price, I'm going to get out. Then I'll buy when it's lower. 
But the Bitcoin going to 20K, like a lot of people don't realize it went from 20,000 down to like 12,000, up to 16, and then down to like 3,000. And it stayed in, in like that $3,000, $4,000 range for years. So up until like April last year. Yeah, yeah. So what happened though, April last year, it had started going back up. But then once the COVID crash and everything happened, that's when it had dropped back down to like 3,500. But I had got out before then because I was thinking like, oh, crypto market back. I bought some more Bitcoin at like 12,000 and that mug dropped to like seven. And I'm like, man, like, I guess, you know, it's going to be a couple years till crypto come back. Like this bear market still going on years later. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my money out and get into something else entrepreneurship, got into a trucking business. It did not work out. <laughs> like I look back all the time. I could have took that 50 K and put it into Bitcoin. Like I had put some money into Bitcoin, but I took it out to put it back into like entrepreneurship when all I had to do was invest, buy and hold. I didn't have to do anything else. So that's what I'm saying. Like forget Bitcoin. Even if I put the 50 K into Tesla, put it into any type of company that like I believed in, I have way more money. Like I said, the trucking business did not work out. And that doesn't mean that no trucking businesses work out. It's just that it's always easier, in my opinion, to just invest and wait. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned like it was the bear market for three years. And you said something key in there about the taking the profits off of the table with the crypto mm-hmm. as it rises and falls. I feel like too many people to the like, moon right now. Yeah, they got that they ever sell. mentality. Like, mm-hmm. we're just going to buy it and we're going to hold it forever like Dogecoin. So, like, how do you feel about this whole thing right now with crypto, like the current space we're in? I think that a lot of people are being led astray. (laughs) Like, I think a lot of people are basically gambling. They might as well go to casino, chasing after shitcoin after shitcoin. Like, whatever new thing they see on TikTok, they buying it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it doesn't mean that you can't make money from it. It just means that you're literally gambling. Like, you're not investing in solid projects. You're basically just seeing something, whatever people are talking about, and you're just buying it because they're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the next Dogecoin. This is going to be the next this. Like, you need to actually know what the fundamentals are. Like, crypto, the only thing that it has in common with stocks, in my opinion, is like there is fundamental analysis, and you have to be able to do your research, see what their vision is, see if people are actually using this cryptocurrency. And, you know, you can hold something like that long term. But if you're buying something and it's like, their whole premise of what our coin is, is just buy and hold. Like that's all the coin does. Like you're going to buy it and everybody going to hold it. And if we hold it for a long time, the price going to go up. Like that's not utility. That's not anything. Like some of these coins now they're doing, what they're doing is you buy it. And if you sell it, they're taking a fee from you selling it. Like that's some new next level Ponzi stuff. Like I've never seen that in crypto. So it's like, you'll buy it and you're like, okay, I want to sell it. They take 10%. I've never seen that before. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, but they take the 10% and they burn it. At least they say they burn it. I don't know. I haven't looked at the contract, but they say that they burn the coins that when they take them. So it causes like deflation. So over time, the price will go up. But that's literally the only sole purpose is like, all right, we're going to buy this and we just going to hold it and it's going to go up. But like, you know, that's a game of like hot potato. Like, shoot, who going to be the last one holding the bag? Somebody going to hold the bag. Even with, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago there was a major dump on one of those coins that a lot of people were holding. So the creator of Uh, Ethereum. Yeah, Shiba, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the creator of Ethereum, they gifted him billions or I don't know how many coins. I think they gave Vitalik half the supply of Shib that's in creation. 
Yep. So if they gave him half the supply and he was like, you know, I didn't ask for these coins or anything like that. He donated it to India's COVID relief fund. The half of the supply and the price like it was destroyed. And people say, oh, yeah, well, it's over. Like, literally, that's a casino. Like, you just waiting and waiting and you hoping to hit big. Nobody's selling. They just waiting and they end up losing whatever money they put in. Like, you don't know where people are buying at. So every place that there is a buyer. So when you're selling, there's always a buyer. So if you're selling, somebody's buying it on the other side. So somebody bought at the top and it goes way down. Like, there was another crypto. It's called Yearn Finance. Hmm. That thing... Like right now, these dog meme coins are just going crazy. So Yearn Finance, they came out with something. It was called Woofy. They're like, okay, everybody who holds Yearn Finance is going to get Woofy. So Yearn Finance went from like 45000 to $90,000 in one day. <laughs> like one day. Yeah. So Yearn Finance, it's really a good protocol. It's something, it's a really good protocol, really good platform that you can use. But there's no reason why it should have doubled in one day from 45,000 a coin to 90,000 a coin. And then there were people who bought the top. Like if you go look at that chart, it's down to like 50K. <laughs> so they lost a ton of money. Whoever was buying when it was in the 80K, 90K range, you lost a ton of money. And I saw people on the timeline talking about, yeah, I kind of like YOLO'd in into Wi-Fi, but I'm going to hold it long term. Like, But you should have never bought into that hype in the first place. Like, That's not investing. That's gambling. It's a big difference. Mm. You spoke on certain projects having use cases and stuff. I've seen you tweet about Solana. Can you kind of go into yeah. the use case for Solana and why you're kind of big on Solana? Yeah, yeah. Solana, to me, it seems like they're trying to be like the next visa for cryptocurrencies. And they're trying to be the platform that a lot of banks end up going to and just like exchanges, stock exchanges end up going to because you're able to do 50,000 transactions per second. So the thing with Ethereum is I can't remember the exact transactions per second. I think it's between like they only can do 12 to 20. So they will never well, until they make their upgrades. They say the upgrades coming soon. We'll see how many transactions they can do. But as of right now, they can't do that many transactions. So you can't run like a payment processing system on Ethereum. You try to send one transaction with Ethereum, it might cost you $100 or it could cost you $200. And then the thing about it is you could run out of gas when you're sending this Ethereum transaction and all your money's gone. So that happened to me a couple of days ago. I was trying to send a transaction. Next thing you know, it's like ran out of gas. Transaction failed and it was $160. I'm like, okay, like this is crazy. So the network can get bogged down and you can lose money trying to like send transactions. You might have to wait for a while. So like I had sent another transaction and I didn't use that much gas and I had to wait 11 hours. <laughs> so I waited 11 hours for this transaction to go through, just waiting like, okay, well, I guess it'll go through eventually. And then Solana, what I like most about Solana is that Sam, so his name is SBF. He runs FTX, which is a crypto stock exchange. It's a crypto exchange where they have stock synthetics as well. So you're able to go on there. You can trade the price of Coinbase, Apple, Tesla, all these different stocks. They even allow you to trade futures. So you can trade like the lumber futures. They just added this. Damn, I didn't know all of that. Yeah, yeah. FTX, like I'm super bullish on FTX, like super bullish on FTX and Sam. I think Sam is like the Elon Musk of cryptocurrency. That's how I look at him. Yeah, he's he's going to. Revolt is building the largest platform for black creators globally. Become a member of our network at revoltcreators.com. The future is ours to create. I saw what he did with the stadium, too. That's whenever FTX first came out my radar. 
was like, oh, this shit hard. Like this shit about to be lit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really bullish on FTX and just the Solana ecosystem in general. So Sam, his whole thing was he wanted something that could work for like uh, quantum traders because he was a Wall Street quantum trader. And basically there wasn't anything out there in the crypto world or crypto space that worked well for quantum traders in terms of like crypto and in terms of just like a centralized exchange. So that's how he created FTX. And then also, I think they end up finding like the Solana team and they liked it. They figured it would work. They actually were building Solana for three years before it came out. So Solana didn't come out until I believe July of last year. So they were working on it for three years before it even released. And Sam also runs the DEX for Solana, which is called Serum. So Solana is like a crazy ecosystem that's coming up. It reminds me of Ethereum in 2017. But the main difference to me is you have somebody who understands banking. You have somebody who understands crypto and everybody's trying to work together to like get to one point versus like on all of the other crypto ecosystems. It doesn't seem like it's not like all one for all. Right. You have the main protocol where you have like the core team for that protocol. But like all the other projects that are built on it, they're not really trying to work toward the same goal besides like oracles. But even then, it's like. It's not like we have one Oracle who does this or we have one coin that does this. It's like you have a bunch of coins that are all competing together Mm -hmm. in the Solana ecosystem. They don't do that. So like, for example, you can swap for different coins. So if anybody's used like pancake swap, which probably a lot of people have because of like safe moon and all that stuff. So if you use like pancake swap or uni swap or sushi swap, like you can do these different swap transactions. So it's the same thing on Solana, but the DEX is called Radium. So basically Serum had a swap system. Radium had a swap system. Sam came out and tweeted. He said, hey, congrats to the Radium team. Your swap is much better than ours. We're going to completely depreciate the swap for Serum. It's gone, right? So they got rid of something because another team was doing it better. Like they're all working together for the same goal. And that's why I like Solana. Like it's still very young. It's not even a year old. And I just think there's a lot of opportunity there for Solana to grow long-term. So I got into Ethereum. I bought my first Ethereum at $86. So I literally, you know, I was in it when it went from 86 to like 1200 back in 2018, right? So I was in it that whole time. So it's like, it feels like the same thing with Ethereum with Solana, but just, it's just a different coin. And I just feel like, you know, having somebody who can really drive that system, similar to how like Elon drives Tesla, in all these different directions. Like, I just think, I mean, I'm really bullish now. I like it a lot. Mm. I want to ask what gas was. That was what threw me when you were talking about, like, you, you, you ran out of gas. You wasn't here last he week, wasn't here. No. He was oh, about this. Man. <laughs> all right. I'll still let you explain it for him, B. Yeah, gas is basically what you need to make a transaction send for Ethereum. Solana has something similar. I'm not sure if they call it gas, but it's basically all the same thing. So basically, when you try to send a transaction, you need to pay a fee to make that transaction go. So you have a miner's fee with Ethereum. So it's like whoever pays the most gas, the miners will pick up your transaction first. So if you're like real cheap, you're like, you know, I'm not going to use much gas. Well, the miners aren't going to pick up your transaction. You know how I said it took 11 hours. So it took 11 hours for them to finally say, okay, we're going to pick up this transaction at this point. So anytime you send a transaction with Ethereum, you have to use a little bit of Ethereum in your wallet to send the actual transaction. And right now with the high prices of gas fees, that's what's really holding Ethereum back is that 
these fees are so high. Like if you have to send two transactions, you could be sending like, it's like probably a hundred dollars a transaction. That's too much. Like I had some of a stable coin sitting in one of my wallets. I had $300 worth. I was trying to convert it to Ethereum. It was going to cost me $80 to convert it. I only had $300. It was going to cost 80 to convert it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just wait. I waited it out until like the fees had dropped and the network wasn't as clogged up. Then I paid $15, which is still high. It's like, you know, $15 for a crypto transaction, Mm -hmm. which is why another reason why I like Solana, the fees for Solana are cheaper than a penny. Like it's nothing. Like, so you send something with Solana, it's cheaper than a penny. It's almost instant. Like you're not going to wait. There is no, like you're waiting a ton of time. Like their transactions are fast. Their fees are low and people are actually using it. And like, they're actually building a real community, real ecosystem. So I like Solana. So you touched on uh, DEXs and I don't, for people unfamiliar, DEX stands for decentralized exchange, right? So yeah, yeah. with the current, everything with crypto right now, with people like Solana, Cardano, and a couple of these pieces that have like foundations behind them, how does that work with the decentralized piece of it? Because from my understanding, the mission of crypto like Bitcoin was to cut out intermediaries in the financial process. So like, how does that work out? How is it still decentralized like that? Yeah. So with the DEXs, basically it's decentralized because there's no third party there. So really all it is, is you can get onto a DEX, you can connect your wallet and you're able to send the transactions just by like connecting your wallet. You make these swaps and they're called an automated market maker. So basically it just like finds it within the contract to be able to complete the transaction. It's very complicated how like DEXs work, but basically it's all peer to peer. It's not actually a third party that's running the transaction on a DEX, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to like, let's say in the stock world, right? You go on to Robinhood, like Robinhood is running all that. Robinhood, everybody's seen it. Robinhood would be like, yo, nah, y'all making too much money shut it down right now. There's no shut it down indexes. Like it's going to run forever. And really that's the power of DeFi. Like it cannot be shut down. So people are creating their own liquidity within these DEXs and they're able to do their transactions without a third party being involved at all. So basically it automatically creates these transactions for you. It processes it for you. You don't have a third party that's saying like, okay, nah, stop that transaction. Like that doesn't happen at all. So the DEX is decentralized, but like FTX, Coinbase, stuff like that, that's centralized. So there's two different kinds of exchanges. There's a centralized exchange and decentralized where there is no third party there. Um, And you're able to trade on decentralized exchanges as well. Thank you. I told you we had a lot of questions for you. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm going to get the best for everyone, of course, myself personally. I got to get that because I know like a podcast conversation, you will get some gems. But if you got a whole course with dedicated to that shit, you're going to learn some shit. Yeah, yeah. And the course is, it's long, man. The course is long. It's like over 100 lessons. It's not only about crypto. So it's about stock investing, crypto investing, DeFi, which is decentralized finance, precious metals, alternative assets, angel investing. It's a lot in it, like charting basics. So it's a lot. It's a deep course. So it's not just like crypto. Hmm. Look like you had something, Kelly. Yeah, I do. I kind of want to go into Visa's group. You have an SLS group. Can you kind of go into what that is and kind of go over how that started? Yeah, yeah. So SLS is really a success life society. And really, it's like a overarching kind of like, I don't want to call it, it's not like a school or anything like that, but it's just my overarching kind of like ideology. And I feel like anybody who comes into like my system 
you're coming into like this SLS ideology. So kind of like similar how you all have Black Wealth Renaissance, right? I'm sure you all have different pillars within your system. So people can come into my SLS system through Financial Starter Kit, my book, the Defense Industry Guide, um, now Investing for Everyone, and the M1 Guide as well. So it's like all of these different educational pieces will teach you about investing, careers, stuff like that. So I have a group coaching program too, which is your 100K year program, where I help people get to making six figures in their career and then increasing their passive income as well. So it's all a different part and it's different levels. So the your 100K year program is like the top of SLS. That's where like, you know, you're working with me one-on-one. I have assistant coach, stuff like that. So it's really different levels to it. And then soon I'm about to launch a Discord where we'll have a community where it's still going to be talking about careers and investing, and we'll be dropping plays in there. We'll have career resources, a job board, all that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's just like a big ecosystem. That's how I look at it. SLS is an ecosystem. Like anybody who comes in, you know, I'm just hoping that you come out better after you get any information that's provided from like just SLS as a whole. Hey, that's dope. That's really hard. And I kind of want to go back into like, what started you on your financial literacy journey? Because you said you weren't taught this as well as a young person either. So like, was it the crypto that inspired you to really take investing in just finances serious? Or what was that? Yeah. So really what it was, was I just knew I couldn't work for like the rest of my life until retirement. So I was just like, you know, i got to figure out a way to not have to work for the rest of my life. So the first book that I got into, which a lot of people do is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? So I ended up reading that book on my phone. I think I had like an iPhone 5 at the time on my phone while I was at work. Yeah, I read it on my phone, like all the way through in one day. And that book really like just changed my whole like mindset when it comes to like what financial literacy is, when it comes to investing, stuff like that, you know, really just the different definition and the difference of, you know, how you become wealthy versus how everybody else lives. So that's really how I got into financial literacy. And I knew that this was the life that I needed to live. Like I couldn't do it. You know, you heard it from the beginning. Like I only got into the vocational school so I could not go to school. Like it's just never my thing. Like I always wanted to be able to do my own thing on my own time, but you have to work. Like you have to make money. You have to make money to survive. So there is no like, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do this. Well, you're going to have to figure out some way to make money. So, you know, you just have to figure out what plan works best for you and how to get there like financially. So I just knew that what I knew about financial literacy wasn't enough. So I really went super deep into financial literacy. Like I studied for like months and months and months, learned about passive income, early retirement, all that kind of stuff. So like I was really big on FIRE, which is financial independence, early retirement, basically. And that's really what got me into this. So I started learning about it when I was 19. I was 19 years old, decided like, yeah, you know, I have to, you know, live a life of just freedom and I got to figure out how. So I literally been on the grind since 19. And I felt like, you know, I finally started making good progress once I got overseas because I knew what not to do. Like I knew what not to do to get into debt. I knew what I should be doing with my money, not like spending it on all like clothes and stuff like that. Because when you're young, that's what you do. You know, you don't know. Like my dad, he would always say like, it's about how much money you keep, not how much money you spend. But he never like laid the blueprint or like, okay, you need to actually save 10%. You need to set it up so your money automatically goes into your savings. 
you need to set it up to where you're not spending all of your money. You know what I'm saying? Like it was always, you know, you're young. It's always you're trying to buy yes. like the next thing. Yeah. Like, you know, you get money and you're just trying to get something new. That's just how it is. That's how a lot of people live. But once you realize that you have to like first save, then start investing, your whole life changes because now it's like I get money and I'm thinking like, all right, how can I make this make me more money every single month? So like I said, I'm all about passive income and cash flow. So I'm always looking for ways to make more money every single month, but not having to give up any of my time. Mm. That's pressure. That's a bar. That, yeah, I love that. That's a great way to attack it. Using your job as your investor to make that money going autopilot. So we want to pivot to the last segment of the show. So we're going to do what's on your timeline. So we want to ask you, what's something you've seen on social media, the internet, anywhere that like stood out to you and you want to speak on? Yeah. So I actually saw this tweet last night, probably like this morning. It was like 2 a.m. I saw a tweet and it said that millennials are the most educated generation in history, but the poorest holding only 4.8% of all wealth. So it's crazy, right? So that means that we are extremely educated, but we have no idea how to manage our finances, no idea how to make our money work for us. And a lot of people have no idea how to increase their income, right? So like, it's one thing to get your first job, but it's another thing to just keep being out here, figuring out, okay, how can I make more money? What company can I go to next? What can I learn to be able to get my skill set up to make more money? Like, so, you know, it's more than just you get your degree. You got to figure out, all right, how am I going to come up with a plan to make the amount of money I want to make? And then I need to start investing like immediately. So I think a lot of people, you know, they think that you need thousands of dollars to start investing. Like really, even if you're only taking like $25, $50 every paycheck and putting it into an investment account or like, I like M1 Finance. So M1 Finance is a stock brokerage that allows you to buy fractional shares. So everybody says like stocks are too expensive. So like Tesla, I don't know where it is right now. Is it around like 600? I don't know where Tesla is right now. It's around that area. Yeah, I haven't seen since the tweet, like with the Bitcoin and stuff, I haven't really looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's around like $600 a share, right? So a lot of people, they'll look at that and say, 598. Dang. Okay. So a lot of people will look at that and say, I can't buy Tesla. I can't invest in that. I don't have $600 right now to buy a full share. So most stock brokerage, they make you buy a full share. Like you cannot be like, all right, I got 300. I'm going to put 300 towards Tesla on like, let's say TD Ameritrade. They don't let you do that. Even Webull. Webull does not let you buy fractional shares either. So it's like, there's only certain platforms that lets you buy fractional shares where you could say, all right, I got $100 or I have $20. I want to buy some Tesla because when you buy the fraction of a share, you'll end up reaping the benefits of any price increases. So if the price goes up, you know, you'll get those returns too. So at first it might not seem like that much, but if you keep doing it over time, over time, over time, you'll have a lot of money. Like, so I'm dollar cost average. So I end up buying stocks like every other week. Whenever I get paid, I'll put it into my M1 finance and I'm able to do that on autopilot. I'm able to say, I want X amount of money to go into my M1 account every two weeks and automatically I invest it like as soon as it comes in. So a lot of people don't know you can have these fractional shares would let you invest into any stock. So once you do that, you have your stocks you're invested in over time as the price goes up the percentage that you get from it, you know, you'll get some big gains. So from Tesla, like when it was at its peak, right, I was up like 700% on Tesla. 
And all I did was buy every two weeks. Like I didn't say like, all right, I'm about to put in thousands of dollars right now. I was just buying consistently every two weeks, like a couple hundred dollars here, just keep on buying. And you can do the same thing with crypto and stuff like that. So I think that a lot of people definitely need to start looking into these fractional shares platforms because anybody really can invest. Like at this point, you only need $10 and you can get into investing in stocks. So I think that people just need to start investing earlier and stop listening to people who say like, you know, you need thousands of dollars to start investing. Like investing something is better than investing nothing because Mm. the longer you wait, the harder it is for you to retire. Like, so the longer you wait to invest, the more money you have to start putting up when it comes to retirement versus just consistently investing over time. Because it doesn't seem like that much, right? If you're able to just invest $100, $100 every two weeks is $2,600 a year. So there's this one website called Swan Bitcoin. They have a chart on their site. And it was like, if you invested $50 every two weeks for three years, you would have, I think it was almost $70,000 worth of Bitcoin just from $50 every two weeks for three years. And the total amount invested was only, I think, $6,700. Insane. So it's like, you know, we just have to start focusing on our finances and investing. Like we just have to, you know, it's great to travel. It's great to see the world, go see your friends and stuff like that. But you just have to put something aside for your future because if you don't, we're on pace to be like working until we're 75. Millennials are definitely on pace to be working until you're 75. If you don't figure out what you're going to do for retirement, you don't start saving and investing. Like you're definitely going to be working until you're 75. Like I don't have any doubts about that. Sheesh. If they got jobs left for your ass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing too, with automation, the jobs are going away. So with your skill sets, you really have to look for jobs where, you know, you look at your job and say, can a robot do this job? Can a computer program take over my job? So if you look at your job like that, and the answer is yes, a robot can do this or a computer can take this over. You might want to start looking for other fields to get into other skills to learn, because I think there was this TED talk. And I think they said within the next 20 years, 60% of jobs will be gone due to automation. But now with COVID, I think that's going to happen much sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I believe it too. I definitely believe it. And uh, I just want to say, Bees, appreciate you for coming, kick it with us. Appreciate you for waking up early on the (laughs) West Coast for us. I really enjoyed this. And uh, I definitely love to have a part two, just because I know we asked you a lot, but yeah, I enjoyed (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me out. So when is this going to release? This is going to be sometime in August. Yeah. Sometime in August. All right. So by the time it comes out, then my full investing course will be out. So if people want to get my investing for everyone course, I could come out with like a BWR code where they get like they can get 15% off for the course. So you go to investingforeveryone.com, put in BWR and you'll get uh, 15% off. Hey, y'all heard it here first. Y'all heard it. Y'all better go down to the show notes. We're going to make sure it's worth it. I'm telling y'all it's worth it. And even just follow her on Twitter. Like, I promise y'all so much game. Like, I'll be on it. Like, I'll be seeing some of the stuff she be putting out there. I'll be like, oh, shit. That's hard. (laughs) Let me go look this up. (laughs) And I just go look it up. I promise you, you'll find some gold nuggets. But get the course. It's worth it. Just the information. I could tell you take your time with the stuff that you do and the stuff that you put out. So uh, Yeah, yeah. I want my stuff to always be like the highest quality, even with the book. So like if people, you know, you're like, I ain't ready for investing yet. Even if you just want to get your financial literacy right, your financial foundation, you know, definitely check out my book. 
You can buy it on Amazon uh, Financial Starter Kit. And if you want a digital version, you could just go to financialstarterkit.com. So like, you know, people just need to get their financial situation together, like sooner than later, because like I said, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be for you. So I'm grateful that you all brought me on here and people can definitely find me on Twitter, capital underscore SB. And my Instagram is capital dot SB. Yeah. And I'm easy to find. So you'll always see me around. Yeah. Y'all go follow her. Make sure y'all do that. And before we get up out of here, we're going to get into some house cleaning. We want to say thank you to everybody who listens week in, week out. Appreciate y'all for joining us. If this is a new episode, we hope that this made a great impression. I know I learned a lot. I know damn sure y'all probably learned a lot too. And I would say don't just stop your education at this episode. Go look in, go do some research on some of the things that we talked about on this episode so you can further educate yourself and make your own decisions as well. Because sometimes, you know, we just see one thing and we just like, I'm going to run with it. Go do some research, come up with your own type of answer. And also, I want to say, y'all join BWR Academy, one of the hottest communities on the internet. We'll also be talking about personal finance. We got our budgeting challenge. We got our savings challenge. We partner with Capital Finance. You get a special access to a premium tier through BWR. You get three months free. And then after that, you're locked in for life at $3 a month. And with Capital Finance, it makes budgeting and saving really easy. Set it on autopilot. Yeah, like you can also do this with your spouse. So if you're married or even if you have a family, you can set up a family savings challenge. Maybe y'all going on vacation or something like that. Y'all can set goals and stuff like that. So y'all come through the community. We got amazing partners, amazing instructors. We even see if bees would like to come teach a class or some of her expertise. So y'all definitely sign up for that. The link is in the show notes. Yes, Fellas, y'all got anything else? Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to my brother, man. Uh, yeah. Official water, BWR, Spiral Water, man. Yeah. Y'all get on that high quality H2O. We're going to have that down in the show notes for y'all as well, man. Yeah, y'all can pick that up. This is some alkaline water. It is black owned Good and it's pressure. I just want y'all to know that. Well, y'all, that's... When it comes to clothes, it's great to have options. But having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must for everybody. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits into your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. And with an impressive selection of staples to choose from, there's something for everyone. So whether you're on the hunt for the perfect t-shirt, a solid pair of jeans, or super soft sweatshirts, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop where anywhere closet staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code WA23. Hey everyone, my name is Odessa and you are in tune to Reasonings with Odessa. Now, if you are looking for something that is going to give you all access to Caribbean and African pop culture, this podcast is for you. Reasonings with Odessa is brought to you exclusively by Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop and powered by creators.